Welcome to the Go Big Redcast, the Husker Fan Sports Show with Dave, Honky, Mac, and Boomer. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast. I'm your host, David Gaspers, and I'm with Honky. As we all know, Memorial Stadium becomes the third largest city in the state when filled on fall Saturdays. Well, we can now claim that the Redcast Nation is the 33rd largest city in Nebraska, as we now have over 5,000 followers on social media. A huge shout-out to all the Redcasters. Uh, that's good stuff, Hawk. You know, funny thing is that you probably didn't have to look that up, uh, that that 5,000 mark would make us the 33rd largest city in the state. You'd probably have that memorized. Yeah, so. I, I, somewhere after 40, and you know, then I start to kind of you know lose track of right. the Right, where does that put us at? Who else is in that 5,000 club of cities in the state? We're just <laughs> passing Gretna, but we're right behind off at Air Force Base, of all things. Well, you know, Gretna's growing fast, too, so we better keep on adding followers. Yep. All right, good stuff. Well, Honk, this is a little bit of a redcast in the afternoon, if you will. We are doing a, a show right after the NCA baseball selection show uh, to kind of get a quick, rapid reaction on that. And it was a pretty productive weekend there in Omaha. We had the, the Huskers take it to the championship game in the Big Ten tourney. Uh, just couldn't quite get it done. Um you know, Honky, it's one of those things where that your our pitching staff was so so thin there at the end. Um, sure, it was frustrating to to watch that game and see Ohio State uh, keep us kind of under wraps in that last game. What were your just initial thoughts there of how close we came to winning the title? You know, we talked about it last week about how this was a wide open Big Ten tournament, and we said really there's six to seven teams that legitimately have a shot at it, and the one that we kind of said didn't was Ohio State. That was me who said that, Honk. Thanks for pointing that out. Appreciate you know, that. It, but that probably even proves the point even more about how wide open the conference was, and the fact that in the first day seeds one through four lose to seeds yeah. five through eight, and the fact that the two teams that we talked about last week really having a legitimate shot at almost hosting a regional, Illinois and Indiana. They were the first two out sent home packing. So I think it speaks a lot to the Big Ten, the depth of the Big Ten. And we saw that today. Obviously, Ohio State got in with the automatic seed, but we have five teams in. I think that that says a lot. But it it was sad to see NU come so close again. And the 17,000 people there that, that were in the stands at TD Ameritrade, it was sad to see that, that Nebraska couldn't just pull out that last win. But at the end of the day, Nebraska probably benefited the Big Ten big time because we, we got Ohio State in for them and – it looks like with Michigan being, being one of the last four in, uh, having Michigan beat us on Saturday morning probably got them in too. So Nebraska, uh, the Big Ten should be thanking us right now. Yeah, yeah, it went from three to five almost, right? Well, we'll give a uh, kind of a full breakdown of the NCAA regional. We're going to Oklahoma City later this week. But, you know, it, it was so close to, to see uh, Erstad's uh, team compete for a Big Ten championship. Uh, they were almost there, and that's something that, Bill Moose is really adamant about that our uh, program should be able to compete for championships at the conference level, and that will lead to good things at the national level. You know, Honky, uh, Bill Moose had an interesting interview with Steve Sipple uh, this week and had some items uh, worth uh, noting. You want to take it away from there? Yeah, I think, you know, there's three real major topics there, and you had him talking about expanding the college football playoff to, to eight and whether we should or shouldn't. He talked about alcohol in Memorial Stadium, and that certainly created quite the buzz. And then uh, he also talked about uh, – he had a great interview with Sipple just in general talking about the standards here at Nebraska and, 
and about Nebraska needing to get back to being Nebraska. That was something that Jim Delaney told him on the first day of, of him taking the, uh, the job. Let's start with the, the alcohol in the stadium. That was the one that kind of got a lot of the buzz on social media. Sure. And I think that the take that I have with it, and it, this probably differs from Boomer, so if he was on today, we'd be hearing him. I'm not for or against the Memorial Stadium. Quite honestly, I, I don't really see a huge need for it in Memorial Stadium. But if you're going to have it, have it everywhere. Don't have it in just the, the suites and then not the rest of the stands. That, to me, just creates a separation that doesn't need to be there. It's almost like a class separation, a, an elitist kind of thing that, hey, up there in the suites we can do it. But, you know, you guys, you know, down there, you schlubs down there in the, the stadium can't, you know, handle it or else you're going to be throwing beers on players. And that just doesn't <laughs> even make sense. So, yeah, I disagree with Moose on this. It's taken me 18 months to disagree with him pretty much on anything. I'm about his biggest supporter. But this is one of those things, yeah, I just I don't agree with that part of it. it either have it or don't have it. Yeah, it's, a, it's definitely a, a change a change in expectations across the country on this topic over the last few years. And we've seen a lot of schools add alcohol to various different sporting venues. Uh, most recently now, Oklahoma sounds like they're going to be uh, having alcohol available at their football games. They started, I believe with basketball and baseball and other things. So I think that'd be a step that we could go in that right direction and then explore how you do it at Memorial Stadium. There is a logistics that you have to think about, like how do you actually handle the concessions and all those type of things. And that's an opportunity maybe where we see in the South Stadium if they rebuild that in some manner uh, to be able to think ahead of time to do that right. You know, I went to the Minnesota football game several years ago Another one of the long uh, losses in my streak of road losses, right? Yeah. And uh, had a couple of beers there, grain belts, uh, not not good beer. But that's one way to keep people from drinking in the stadium, just have a really bad beer there to have. <laughs> but their, their beer concessions were completely separate, for example, from the rest of the concessions, right? You're going to go to get your soda and, and hot dog and popcorn in one place, and you want your beer somewhere else, right? There's lots of different ways to potentially – kind of um, uh, mitigate the the impacts and the ease of access, I suppose. We we had a, a beer at Ohio State we were there a couple mm-hmm. of years ago. And, I mean, there's, there's something to the fact that, you know, if there's alcohol in the stadium, you don't have to think that you have to drink so much beforehand, right? All those type of things that uh, humans in their weird uh, <laughs> a sense of uh, trying to maximize their experience will, will do uh, it, it could change the way, and maybe people actually are a little bit more responsible about how they consume alcohol over a long period of time, um, because football is a, it's a long game, right? Yeah. Three, four hours, it seems like, these days. Yeah, at uh, TD Ameritrade Park, you know, there alcohol's inside that stadium now. It's it's at different conference, you know, events and different teams. Creighton's had it for, for years, so it's not something that's, you know, foreign to the college game. It's just been foreign to Nebraska. We did get some feedback from some people talking about how hard it would be in Memorial Stadium, just the logistics of, of making it work in the stadium. And to your point, Dave, we were at Ohio Stadium, the Horseshoe, and there's no easier logistics there. That's an old school place, benches, you know, bench seating. Yeah, absolutely. You're not having a, a cup holder in front of you. It, I don't buy that that it can't be done. I don't know that it needs to be done. I'm not a big supporter of it necessarily at being at Memorial Stadium just for a number of reasons, but I would like to see it first, if it's going to be done, to be done across the board everywhere inside of Hawksfield and PBA, two off-campus facilities that already have alcohol for other events. You know, nothing nothing changes. To me, that would be the way to do it. But if you're going to do it, do it across the board. Don't pick and choose who, who wins and gets to drink and who doesn't. I just think that's, sure. that's silly. 
moving on there, uh, Moose talked about expanding the college football playoff to eight, and that's certainly something – we've talked so much about SEC scheduling over the years, and we've made a big point about how you know they wouldn't go home and away and, and all that, and we're starting to see a difference. You know, in, in the late 2020s, these schedules are starting to come out in Alabama and Georgia and Florida – especially Florida. They're like leaving the state of Florida. For the first time in like five decades. Yeah, it's ridiculous, but they're doing it. And I think one of the reasons they're doing it is they're seeing the future that they're going to need to boost that strength of schedule. And part of that is because they're seeing a, a world where the college playoff could be eight teams. Yeah, the TV contract uh, for the playoff ends in 2024, 2025, right about when the Big Ten's TV contracts uh, end. uh Jim Delaney and his uh, negotiating magic there. So yeah, I would imagine that would be your your period mm-hmm. when you have a chance. So that's that's only about five years out now. So yep. And then the last part, you know, Moose talked about with Sipple was just the, the expectations, the standards, and baseball didn't quite win the conference, but. You know, he's really talking about he wants us finishing the top half of the conference, you know, across the board. Any any one of our sports should be. He even kind of called out softball for not being up there uh, the last couple of years. Yeah, not that Ravel is in is any danger. In fact, he mentioned that, you know, she had offers to go to other schools, you know, even after last season. So she's well thought of, but it's just the fact that if we're if we're struggling in any sport, you know, why are we struggling? And that we shouldn't be. And he talks about the the finances here, the Big Ten's hall of uh, $54 million for each conference school. And he goes, it means I can demand more from this right there, pointing to that number. And he goes, $54 million, when you add that to the Adidas deal, to our IMG deal, and then you throw throw in the sold-out stadiums, uh, we have the means to be a champion. And I I think that's absolutely true. There's no reason that we can't be a a champion at any sport. No, absolutely. And uh, he's already seen some production from some of those new coaches, right? His golf coach who is Fred Hoiberg's uh, friend and former roommate uh, definitely upped uh, the performance of the men's golf team this year for the very first time. So um, starting to turn in the right direction, uh, moving up those um, standings, I guess, in the, what, what are they used to be called the Sears. Well, I don't know what they're called. Yeah, longer, I think they, like, I, I want to say they still, well, no, I guess it probably wouldn't be no, Sears. No, no, they're definitely not Sears. Anyway. Probably not the Yonkers either, but. Um, no, no. Yeah, I'm not, whatever that one is, yeah, the uh, the all- the all sports, you know, cup that they Standings, hand out. Exactly. Well, part of that getting the, you know, winning is getting some things turned around. And he said, uh, maybe one of the best things that ever happened to me is I played on a one in 10 team at Washington state. By the time I was a senior, we were 15th in the nation. So Moose talked about how he's heard people belittle and boo and everything else. And I thought this was a great quote from the athletic director. He says to uh, really appreciate winning, you have to experience losing. I looked at Scott's team last year and all those new players. They didn't like it. Then you get that fire. You don't ever want that again. So I, I think that's a, it's a great statement that, you know, we talk about the winning tradition of Nebraska and how winning breeds winning, but there's also this moment where we haven't been winning. We've been losing now, and to bring in guys that hate losing, absolutely yeah. hate it with a passion, and that to really appreciate winning, you have to experience losing. Well, this team has experienced the losing part. Yeah, they've, they've mastered it over the last couple of years, that's for certain, so – um, end of last year for football, it seemed like they started to understand the the concept of winning. So let's see if they can carry that on here next year. Yeah. All right. Anything else uh, in the the overall Husker athletics conversation, Hunk? Uh, real briefly with recruiting, uh, Nebraska is making kind of a theme here. They're going after a couple of JUCO guys on the lines for 2020. So when you think about going into year three of football, there's still focus a heavy focus on getting those lines beefed up. And one of them. 
Uh, one of the players, a defensive tackle, Perrion Winfrey, is from Iowa Western Community College, and that's of particular interest to us as we've been so close to them geographically for you know the last ten years that 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 program's been around and it's been a very successful program. But we just haven't had much success getting players from there. Well, now we have a, a walk-on center, uh, Wagoner. Uh, he's on the team. And then this Perrion Winfrey, 6'4", 305, big-time player that has opportunities to go to top schools all over the place. His recruiting list looks outstanding. The opportunity, he came here this weekend uh, on a visit. It went well, as it, as it sounds. It looks like he wants to come back again. So that's a great start. Uh, Nebraska sent Breon Dixon over to Iowa uh, CC after – after this, I don't know if we sent him or if he just left and went there on his own. Yeah, but there's this, there is a you, because Breon wouldn't come back. Can, can he even come back? That's, that'd be very rare, right? I suppose you could. In fact, I have a parting shot a little later that would be similar to that. But <laughs> I suppose right. you could come back, but doubtful that that player would. Right. One other player is an offensive tackle, Killian Zerier, and I might be butchering that last name. It's Z-I-E-R-E-R, based from Valencia, California, 6'7", 290. Again, a big-time player that has all the top schools going after him. And this is, I just think it's important that as we keep building speed and all this stuff that's associated with being a, you know, a, a spread, this and that, the Frost staff is focusing in the trenches, in the lines, even going into year three. What can we do to get JUCO guys that can come in here and be huge, big-time you know, right. players as we continue to develop the walk-ons and the, the, the freshman guys that we bring in and build them up year after year? So there's a clear need that they, they look at in those, in those trenches. And I think that's one of those things about adjusting to the Big Ten. Mac doesn't like it when I say Frost has to adjust to the Big Ten, but we have to adjust to the fact that we've got to get bigger and stronger in those, in those trenches and by all means possible. Yeah. So Perrion Winfrey is a D, D lineman and Zaire, however you pronounce that, is offensive Offensive lineman tackle, 6'7", 290. He'd be a, a tackle, I guess, right, at that height? Yep, that's correct. That's what they have him listed at. And, like, everybody's going after that guy. He has a laundry list of big-time programs. Yep. So. And last but not least, uh, talk a little social media that we've done over the last couple of weeks. Uh, we talked about, you know, we now have over 5,000 followers. And, again, thank you, Redcast Nation, for that. But we posted something on Friday morning, and I just I threw it out there. I didn't think twice about it as I did. I just wanted to – it was a great quote. It was from Grant Wistrom uh, on the 1997 Nebraska team. There was a, a show on it on BTN, and it was playing right before the Friday morning baseball game that that show was. So I just I was watching it, and I recorded this like little ten second clip, and and it kind of took off. Uh, but Grant Wistrom was talking about going into that '97 season, him and Peter coming back playing together when they had chances to go pro after '96, and. Uh, Wistrom says, if I'm in there putting in my time and busting my ass, rest assured you're going to be doing the same. I'm not going to lose a football game because you wanted to sleep in in July. That's not going to happen. I sent that out. I, I uh, tagged uh, Zach Duvall in it and said, hey, you know, you guys should, you know, print this off and quote it and put it in the in the weight room and everything. Well, he retweets it. It gets retweeted by Ryan Held. It gets retweeted by uh, Coach 3T, 2EOT, uh, Wistrom, Peter. And then high school coaches – and strength and conditioning coaches all across the country. It was crazy. I mean, that's great. Man. Over a hundred thousand impressions from that one tweet alone. And you know, I always kind of joke with Boomer. There's a lot of bad social media stuff out there. A lot of bad stuff on it. You know, but I thought this was something that kind of represented the good because there's a lot of coaches that 
they're not Husker fans necessarily. They're we, we were retweeted by the head coach at Stoneman Douglas High School down in Florida. It's crazy, you know, the the reach that that got. But it was just that statement from Wistrom, and no credit to us. It's all Wistrom. He said it, you know, but that statement about, you know, I'm not going to lose a football game because I don't want guys right now. This is Memorial Day, but, you know, in a week we're in June and July. And Wistrom's mentality was we're not going to be sleeping in now because if we do that's going to affect us three weeks or three months from now and four months from right now. i just think that's that's leadership right there yeah absolutely very cool stuff you're an influencer huh yeah i am an influencer and one last one and i don't know if this guy is quite an influencer yet uh at college sports it's like three s's at the end of it college sports but he uh, has us in his 2020 playoffs which are clemson ou nebraska and lsu i'm not sure if this is the guy who was the uh, dr pepper Oh, there was the Dr. Pepper, Larry Culpepper Larry? guy. Yeah, he he was from yeah. Nebraska, and he kept picking us yeah. to make the playoffs every year. Yeah, Maybe right. he's now become at college sports, but... Uh, to clarify, so when he says 2020, does he mean January of 2020, or is he talking about, like, two years from now? He's talking, like, you know, eight months from now. All right, good stuff. And now, around the Van Horn... It's baseball time on the Redcast, and as Dave mentioned earlier in the show, the Huskers are in the NCAA Regionals playing in Oklahoma City uh, this Friday at noon Central Standard Time. Uh, The game is on ESPN3, and we are playing the UConn Huskies, so it will be Huskies versus Huskers. We have a mailbag question that came in from coworker Eric. He says, please give a, a brief breakdown of the Big Red's opponents for this upcoming weekend exactly what we need to kind of focus on now you know the big 10 tournament a little bit of disappointment there but the the team just like the fans need to direct their energy towards uh the ncaa regional location let's start there before we break down the teams just a little bit right we're you would expect us to be in stillwater here right oklahoma state is the one seed in the host for this i think they're the nine seed overall so they're not a top eight but they're 16 national seeds they're number nine uh they're not playing in Stillwater though because of flooding in oklahoma i believe both the arkansas and uh, cimarron rivers are near Stillwater, and apparently there's significant flooding in Stillwater. so they have moved the regional to bricktown ballpark in oklahoma city so if you remember we, we played oklahoma state in a regional not that long ago i want to say 20 13 or 2014, and uh, did not fare well. Uh, Oklahoma State, uh, I think Cal State Fullerton was in that one as well. I think Cal State might have actually came out and won that regional, if I'm not mistaken. So that was a that was a tough uh, regional to, to play in. I think we might have a little bit better draw here. Uh, Oklahoma State in the Big 12 uh, really has finished the season off well. They, they are a team that a lot of power. 84 home runs from the Cowboys. Uh, put that in perspective, Nebraska has 33 home runs, so I'll be looking out for that. And uh, they're playing Harvard in their first game, so that's the Ivy League champ. I think the Ivy League doesn't actually have a full conference tournament. They just do, like, they take their top two teams and play a three-game series at the end of the year. They beat Columbia, and so that will be uh, one versus four. We're a three seed, which is a little bit surprising, Honk. Uh, and we've been talking about this for weeks now, and it felt like we uh, were a two seed based off of a lot of the uh, projections from D1 Baseball, Baseball America, etc. But uh, maybe the, the committee didn't have as, as high of a, an opinion on the Big Ten as we thought they may have because both uh, Nebraska and Michigan are three seeds. 
and we're taking on the two-seed Connecticut Huskies. Connecticut uh, lost their conference tournament championship, just like Nebraska, on Sunday. Uh, They lost to Cincinnati 22-5. to So let that sit in for just a a little bit, right? I mean, you felt like that Michigan game on Saturday was painful. And imagine the UConn fans, UConn baseball fans that are out there did not enjoy watching that, that conference championship game. But... I'd say from a matchup standpoint, more similar to Nebraska, not as much power. I think I looked up, they had like 38 home runs, a little bit better on the batting average. They have three all-conference performers on that UConn team. Pitching staff uh, is okay, 5-6 win type starter, so that they're not dominant in any fashion, uh, but just a good, solid team. They've got some good quality wins, too. Uh, they, they, they tested themselves in the non-conference I think they have a non-conference strength of schedule of 15, so that's similar to, to our very high non-conference strength of schedule. They, they swept Michigan State down in, in South Carolina. They tested themselves versus other Southern schools in the non-con and then uh, performed relatively well through the, the American. The American has a, a top eight seed. East Carolina is a, a six, I think, so... They, they aren't the best team in their conference, just like Nebraska, but they're very competitive. So that conference ended up getting three teams in then. They have East Carolina, UConn, and then the who won it all, you said, who beat them? Cincinnati. Just like Nebraska, uh, losing to Ohio State resulted in a bid being stolen by somebody. UConn getting routed by Cincinnati yesterday uh, also likely resulted in a bid getting stolen uh, Cincinnati is a four seed. I don't know where they're landed, but they a four seed is an automatic qualifier. We're very similar in that nature. I, th- I think you're going to see a pretty even matchup versus UConn and uh, should be a, a good first game. The opportunity there, it's interesting with Oklahoma State. If they're playing in Stillwater, you feel like that's friendly confines. They're familiar with Bricktown. They just played there last weekend, but they didn't win that tournament. Uh, they did uh, play five games, I think. Uh, had some power there. They hit six home runs in those five games. So, again, you have to look out for that. But Bricktown's a big big park uh, capacity-wise, 13,000 seats, opposed to Ali P. Reynolds in Stillwater, which is much smaller and would have been much more uh, intimate for uh, Oklahoma State fans. Uh, probably an easier opportunity to kind of negate the uh, – unless Oklahoma State turns out and, and really has 10,000, 13,000 fans there – uh, should be able to mitigate maybe a little bit of the home field advantage you typically would expect in a small on-campus ballpark where um, the fans are going to really pack the house. Yeah, well, I mean, you used to live down there in Fort Worth, and I know some people down there in the Oklahoma City area, they're Husker fans. That's actually a – there's quite a bit of Nebraska alumni down in that area, so having it down oh, yeah. in Oklahoma City could lead to having some additional Husker fans potentially. So that that could be good. I think one of the interesting things, and I think this is a good draw for Nebraska – is just last week we were talking about the potential of Nebraska playing UCLA, you know, in some of the projections Nebraska was kind of thrown into there, and you and you were like, no, we don't want that. So the good news is the other University of Nebraska, the Omaha version, they got the uh, <laughs> they got the UCLA uh, draw, not not us. But yeah, I think as far you know, it's going to be hard no matter who you are playing at this point. You know, you're playing a top sixteen seed regardless. But out of all of them, I think this is a very reasonable one for Nebraska. To be in, I think it's something that we can we can find our way if we play well. I think we could work our way out of this regional. Honestly, it's possible. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to diminish what Oklahoma State uh, did this year. They probably outperformed what they expected to be, and the roster speaks to that too. I mentioned UConn having uh, maybe I think three all conference performers there. 
Oklahoma State in a very competitive Big 12, only one all-conference performer. Um, and that's that's interesting, right? They finished third in the league, but they're because of that strength of schedule, they tested themselves. I, I don't know if I ever mentioned this already. They went to Corvallis, a team that we know very well, Oregon State, where we lost all four to Oregon State down in Arizona. The, the, the Pokes went to Corvallis and swept Oregon State. Wow. Exactly. And that was later in the season uh, in, a, in a non-conference series. And that was right after Oklahoma State had gone to Lubbock, another team that Nebraska is familiar with. We beat Texas Tech 3-1, and Texas Tech is a, a, the eighth seed, actually. They're a national seed. And Oklahoma State got swept by Texas Tech. And so you can kind of see where Oklahoma State kind of turned the corner at that point in their season and uh, played really well down the stretch, moving that RPI way up to six. So very high high RPI there by the Cowboys, uh, finishing third in their conference, though, just like Nebraska. And uh, so it should be interesting. They, they uh, took two from Baylor. Uh, that sounds familiar as well, right? And so it, it should be an interesting uh, uh, scenario there. Uh, I mentioned that power that Oklahoma State has, 84 team home runs, They've got uh, a couple guys with some gaudy numbers. Let's see if I can bring them up here real quick. Uh, home run. Yeah, um, Trevor Boone. That is the all-conference performer there for the Cowboys. Bats 294, 19 home runs, 51 RBIs. Colin Simpson, 15 home runs, 51 RBIs. Christian Funk, 12 home runs, 40 RBIs. Uh, Andrew Navagato, 12 home runs, 40 RBIs. So uh, these guys can hit. They do have have padded their stats a little bit. I was looking through their game by game stats, and uh, Hawk, you remember what's the highest scoring NCAA game of of all time? Didn't a uh, Dave Van Horn team against like uh, I can't remember who we played, but didn't we score like fifty or something? That's right, Chicago State. Uh, this is probably ninety eight or ninety nine. Uh, won fifty to three versus Chicago State. Well, it wasn't as bad, but Oklahoma State beat Kansas uh, in early April twenty seven to six in Lawrence. And they had 12 home runs alone in that one game. Wow! So how many has how many did Nebraska have the entire season? 33. And so they the Pokes had 12 home runs in one game. Wow! Yeah. Uh, so yeah, and I, I I see that in their game by game stats where they have games where they have I think five, four, four home runs, three home runs. They they hit them hit them in bunches. And so I think. You want to try to hopefully get ahead in, in counts and, and be able to pitch well against these guys. And if Waldron has his location like he's had recently, and that question is, does Waldron go against UConn or do you save him for game two? You probably take him against UConn because you got to win game one. Odds of you coming back is, is very minimal. Uh, so then you're really looking at Nate Fisher and can Nate Fisher keep these guys down? So it's going to be tough. Um, but to your point, Honk, it's better than going to UCLA or Nashville versus Vanderbilt or even one of those SEC schools like Arkansas or Mississippi State or Georgia. So uh, I would take this region um, and, and gives us a shot. And the fun thing would be if you could somehow win this, uh, you have the chance maybe to go to Lubbock versus Texas Tech, another team you have experience with, and uh, you're not not fearing those guys either. So, so interesting question here, I guess, would be if Nebraska could make it through Oklahoma State's regional, and if somebody, I, I don't know all the teams that are in Texas Tech's, but if somebody made it through that regional that wasn't Texas Tech, 
Is there any shot that Nebraska would be able to host a Super Regional still? That's a good question. I, I think we likely would be behind the team that would come out of Lubbock, but I'm not for certain on that. And I think that NCAA does use kind of their judgment on, on some of those things. So it really would depend on who would come out of Lubbock. Uh, looking at that bracket, the 2-3 there is Dallas Baptist uh, versus Florida. DBU's Missouri Valley now, very good program. I think they have a, a facility there. They've hosted regionals before in Dallas, so they'd be prepared to do that as well as Florida. Uh, so uh, I, I think it might be unlikely, but um, I guess if Army would somehow get out of the Lubbock Regional, <laughs> maybe we'd have a shot. Go Army. That's right. Uh, I think it is interesting just as a – the Big Ten got five teams in, right? That's great. Ohio State as an automatic qualifier is five. We have two two seeds with Illinois and Indiana, which is what we expected. But uh, both Nebraska and Michigan are three seeds. Uh, most folks had Nebraska as a two seed, so it's kind of interesting. I don't, I don't take a big issue between twos and threes. You know, we would have could have been the two seed in the Oklahoma State region anyway, and you'd still be pretty much playing the same setup. You maybe your three seed slightly different than Connecticut, but not much. So I, I'm not going to get too excited about that. But it was just interesting from the committee evaluation to have the Big Ten teams a little bit lower on that pecking order than what uh, the the major websites did. Michigan ended up being really the second to last team in, and the only real surprise of a team that made it in was TCU, which D1 Baseball and Baseball America both had outside of their field uh, getting into the tournament. And so that was uh, kind of the one kind of inconsistency uh, across the predictors and what the actual committee did. You know, in basketball, you always hear about seeds as you get further into the tournament. You know, if you're a seven or an eight or a nine seed, you know, how do those teams do when it gets towards the, the Sweet 16, the lead eight and final four? How does that relate into bat baseball? Being a three seed, like do three seeds routinely make it to super regionals and routinely do, does the college world series have a, a three seed in more times than not? Or is this kind of like, if you're a three seed history says you're probably not going to make a college world series. That's a good question. History says you probably wouldn't make a college world series, but history also would say that it's very possible. Uh, Fresno state, I believe actually won the college world series as a four seed, so that was a, a big deal. Um, pretty rare, though. Uh, I know Cal, I think, made it in as a relatively low seed. Uh, there's definitely been uh, three seeds that have made it. I want to say Cal State Fullerton one year probably did that. So it's definitely been possible. And I, I think, again, the two three seeds are, are far more fluid. Uh, Stony Brook. Stony Brook made it in a couple of years ago. Remember when they beat LSU in LSU? Mm-hmm. They, they were a very low seed. So, yeah, it's possible. It, it's not common. I would say to always have a three seed or, or above make it to Omaha, but it definitely has happened. And it's kind of the nature of this setup, you know, because you're kind of isolated here and you only have four teams in this pod. And, and a lot of things can can break where a team kind of goes in a slump or a one pitcher they're counting on having a great outing gets chased in two or three innings and that can affect their their rotation for the rest of the weekend and bingo, upsets happen. So definitely out there. Very good. Well, you have anything else then on the baseball, Dave? Well, you know, I, I just think um, hopefully we do get some fans down there. You definitely have some proximity uh, there in Oklahoma City for our folks in North Texas, and uh, 
as Nebraska baseball fans, we're familiar with the Bricktown Ballpark, right? That's where the Big 12 plays their conference tournament. Some of our uh, greatest successes actually happened in that stadium with Van Horn and Mike Anderson winning some Big 12 tournaments. So a little bit of nostalgia there, you know. I also think you're going to see some storylines, the flooding down in Oklahoma and the flooding that's happened in Nebraska. So we got kind of two states there that are, are sharing in that misery. So, um, you know, hopefully that uh, this the baseball uh, kind of uh, lightens the conversation a little bit with the folks down there experiencing the flooding right now in Stillwater. Yeah, that's an excellent point there. And, and then I would just, if we talk about Nebraska for a little bit here, I mean, we talked a lot about their opponents now. You know, I think they performed really well here this last month of the season, right? I mean, we were looking at a team that we uh, thought were maybe uh, going to miss the tournament again. Uh, they turned the season around. I, I felt they kind of turned it around at Illinois, even though they lost that series. But they are far more competitive in that series. And then uh, definitely got it turned around versus Arizona State, who ended up being a two-seed, and then and, and took care of versus Michigan. And then they played very well. Again, we were worried that they weren't going to compete at the Big Ten. Uh, we've seen them lose a lot of games. I think what was the stat? Six of the last seven games that Erstad's teams had played in the Big Ten tournament, they had lost. And here they go out and win their first two, put themselves in a good position. They can't quite get it done, but their bats were looking good for most of the weekend. They were hitting the gaps. They had really good plate discipline in those first games, and I think that's led led them to really beating up on Minnesota and Iowa. Hey, did I mention that we 10-run ruled Iowa? How fun was that, right? Uh, really good plate discipline. They made the pitchers uh, on the opponent teams make sure they actually threw the ball over the, the plate, and when they did, they punished them. They hit the ball in the gaps. They knew how to play TD Ameritrade, and that really played to their favor. It was a little disappointing in the game yesterday. Yeah, I, I think Ohio State just had an outstanding pitching outing, and if, if the Ohio State coach was told beforehand that you were going to score three runs in this game— He'd be like, well, we, we gave it a good run and, you know, we almost made the NCAA tournament. Uh, I doubt they ever thought they were going to win that game with three runs on the board. That was pretty unusual. At the same time, I felt like we, we kind of bailed Ohio State's pitching staff out a couple times. I think playing in front of 17,000 fans and playing for a championship, we looked at a couple of strikes that were on the edge. I think we typically would have fought off and, and kept aggressive and we were trying to coax a walk when we didn't have to. Uh, we had a couple of bad calls to go against us too for the first time really in that tournament there. So I think they just need to shake that off and and go out and take what we did the first two games against Minnesota and Illinois. And if, if Waldron and, and Fisher can have those type of performances again, we could score enough runs against UConn and Oklahoma State to be up 2-0 and be in a good position. Um, if those those uh, hits keep on coming, might give us a shot against uh, those teams down in Oklahoma City. Yeah, and if you get those kind of performances out of Waldron and, and Fisher to begin with, then it it's on Eddins at that point in Game Three to have a better performance than what he he obviously did Saturday morning with Michigan. That, yeah, and that's concerning. He's struggled uh, twice there versus Michigan in a row. Uh, that wasn't the case earlier in the year. I, it's interesting if we could somehow win those first two games, it changes your your. Um, pitching philosophy entirely. You now have two games. You could potentially have Edens go right away, but you could also have Kyle Perry maybe start like they did against Michigan in game two on on Saturday. Um, you have uh, a lot of things you could play with there at that point because you're just trying to get one more game uh, out of staff. So 
it's not as as taxing of a scenario as you just went through that conference tournament. That conference tournament, it's fun. It's interesting. The SEC, ACC, they all have conference tournaments and they have some funky formats, actually. It's a lot of games to be played in a short amount of time. When I'm watching those, it's it feels like to me, it's almost like that hybrid between these kids have just you know played high school ball and uh, Legion ball where they have these week weekend long tournaments, essentially, where you're really it's Johnny Allstaff type scenario. The reality is, is in in college, you're playing three game series on the weekends and you have three starters and that's how it's typically played. The, the conference tournaments just throw that out the window, right? And so it is different. This four-game regional is a little bit closer to more tradition because you're probably only going to play four games max. And, you know, that conference tournament thing, you're looking at five or six potentially. So, Yeah, and, you know, to your point, too, we had some other pitchers step up at Kyle Perry and, and Palker. They really did well in that. Yeah, if you're looking forward, you're looking forward to – to next year and realize that we have a lot of freshmen that are producing on this offense, right? Schwellenbach and uh, Gomez, who's also back as a reliever, obviously next year you have sophomore Aaron Polinski. Uh, we have some juniors that probably won't get drafted. So really you're looking at next year's offense and you're thinking that could be a pretty good offense. Pitching staff wise, we lose our three weekend starters, right? So how do you replace that potentially next year? I'm looking at Robbie Palker, who went five plus innings, I think, uh, on that game, to to be a starter next year. Maybe we get uh, maybe Chad Lindsman figures out uh, his his control issues and, and can be back out there. Um, maybe Shea Shannon and uh, et cetera. So if you could figure out your pitching staff next year, maybe Erstad's you know really got something going here. So. One guy I'm definitely going to miss after the season is Alta Villa. A guy, I wish I'd give anything to watch him have to go against the Michigan guy one more time, the Michigan shortstop. That was that started the weekend before at yes. at the home series, and I remember watching those guys. I went to the three o'clock game, and and even there they were chippy, and they were then they were you know particularly chippy later in the night uh, on the night game on TV. But uh, yeah, those two, the, they a uh, little bad blood there. No, absolutely. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I think Michigan uh, got sent out uh, to uh, Corvallis. They're a three seed, and they played Creighton right away. So that will be, be interesting. Uh, otherwise, in the Big Ten, you have Indiana at uh, Louisville. Uh, two programs very familiar with each other. They typically play midweek games and uh, are not that far apart, actually. And then you have Illinois, I think, got sent to at the Ole Miss playing Clemson. Yeah, so that should be – I think they, they could have an opportunity. Their Ole Miss is playing pretty good ball right now, though, too. So hopefully the Big Ten has a good showing. Yeah. And Ohio State, I mean, part of being a four seed is you're going to have a tough draw, and they're playing Vandy. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, wow. That's going to be a tough one. But you never know. Yeah, a week ago, Ohio State probably didn't think they'd be even playing that game to begin with. So they're happy just to have the shot. Yeah, they do have some regional experience. They made it the regional last year. So some of those players at least probably are, are comfortable in this setting. So, All right, Hawk. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Again, I think you mentioned the game's Friday at noon central in Oklahoma City, ESPN 3. So hopefully everybody can take off work and, and tune into that or at least go and uh, find, a, find a way to watch that in some manner. Uh, you ready for your parting shots? Yeah, absolutely. I have a couple this week. And the first one, we didn't really have a segment for basketball, but I just wanted to mention, since it's happened in the last week, that Michael Lewis, the former assistant coach 
at Nebraska. He is now at UCLA. And what's the head coach there at UCLA? Um, um, Mick Cronin. He just got hired from Cincinnati. Yeah, so this is like the all bald staff, uh, you know, <laughs> there. But what I thought was interesting was when you think about Miles's staff, you have Molinari heading off to Oklahoma, Lewis, you know, lands on his feet at UCLA, and Gates ends up on Hoiberg's staff here at Nebraska. Those three ended up really doing pretty well for themselves. And even, I don't know, it, Dave, your thoughts on it, but it even just kind of shows all the more like the, the missing potential of what happened out of last year's team. It's just unbelievably frustrating. Obviously, Miles uh, assembled a good staff. Uh, these these guys are respected around the country, and and Miles is liked and relatively respected around the country. And uh, to hockey's point, many, many times, this was probably the most talented team that Miles had and Nebraska had for many years and for us to struggle like we did in in Big Ten plays sure a head scratcher and one that um, (laughs) Tim Miles will be wondering what happened for for many years to come as well as us so I'm glad for those guys that they landed on their feet but I think Fred Hoiberg's also assembled a pretty darn good staff and a pretty talented team far as I can tell so we'll see how that results in the win and loss column starting next year yeah and uh, the other parting shot I have, this goes back a little bit. We talked about Breon Dixon. If he left to Iowa Western, could he come back? Well, here's an example of another player. Uh, USC reporter Trish, Chris Trevino is reporting that Texas freshman receiver Brew McCoy intends to transfer back to USC. Now, what's interesting there is McCoy enrolled in USC in January, transferred to Texas a few weeks later, and so now he's potentially going to go back to USC after – Starting there, transferring a couple weeks later, and then by the end of the semester, go back. So they haven't confirmed it yet, but uh, what an odd story if this happens. That is unbelievable. I don't even understand how that works. And it was weird enough that he transferred right after enrolling at USC to get to Texas, but now he's going to go back? Yeah, this okay. is this is the madness of whatever the transfer portal. I don't even know what this guy's eligibility would possibly be after yeah. all of that. At some point, he's going to have to sit out a year, right? <laughs> You'd think. I mean, the NCAA makes rules up every year anymore, but who knows? I mean, maybe he'll go to Oregon State because of the quarter system and he can play. I have no idea. <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh, all right. Good stuff. Good stuff, Hong. Well, uh, it is Memorial Day, so I usually don't have a parting shot, but I just want to call out all our veterans and uh, men and women in our services. Uh, Thanks for all that you do, and um, have a great Memorial Day weekend. Cook up some brats and hamburgers. uh, Hopefully enjoy some good weather, and uh, look forward to Husker baseball on Friday. All right, for now, let's call that a Go Big Redcast. Beat UConn.